Hello and welcome to the Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. How are you doing this week, Scott? I'm doing just fine. Yeah. This is a busy week, though. This is a busy week indeed. Kind of the last the last week for you in there in Elmhurst, isn't it? it yeah, it is. Uh, this is the week that um, we move, or I move. I actually leave on Tuesday or Monday. I leave, leave next Monday. Monday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then Julie and the kids go later in the month, basically? Yeah, basically about a month later. So Julie and Jacob show up first of July. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's always bittersweet. Excited yeah. for the new thing and probably ready to move on. Yeah, it's it's it is bittersweet. I am excited about the new, but um, it's sad to say goodbye. And and you know, but we've been saying goodbye for a couple of months, so I think it's probably a good time for us to for this to happen. Yep. At some point, you just have to move on. You do, and that's okay because yep. that is the story of life, right there. Yes. Yes. Well, we have a few a few topics for this. Week episode 21, which you can find at the crux of the matter dot net slash podcast slash 21. Um, I think we should probably start with what really is kind of the topic of the day or the topic of the internet, at least, and that is the story of Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner. Um, just came out with this big uh, cover spread in Vanity Fair. So had kind of a this great big, I don't know, coming out party. Is that the the right kind of language? This has been kind of in the news off and on for a couple of years, I'm going to say, hasn't it? Am I remembering that right, Scott? Well, there's been people have been speculating that Bruce Jenner was transitioning for quite some time, but he only made it. Uh, he only confirmed that I think a few months ago. Okay, so it hasn't actually been that long, which is fine. Yeah, but well, but like I say, but people in the media have been speculating because of the way he's been wearing his hair and the way he's been dressing and wearing earrings. And, I mean, gotcha. people have been speculating that this was happening uh, for for quite some time, and then he he just confirmed that it was um, a couple of months ago. And then, of course, I don't know what was it a month ago that he had the two hour long television interview where he right. was. Talking, basically catechizing the nation on transgender issues. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's that's really something. I don't even. I guess as I've looked at these things on the internet, on Facebook, and everywhere else, what I don't like about the reaction, or let's say the reaction of conservative Christianity is is the variations of I told you so and this is a bizarre freak show and and just this kind of massive judgment now don't mishear me I'm not I'm not suggesting that it isn't wrong and we can talk about that more but mm-hmm. I am just maybe I don't know. I am inherently suspicious of any time uh, the church, the church as, or its individuals simply kind of stand in judgment. And 
I don't know. Is there a difference between a prophetic voice of saying this is the truth and and recognizing that this is clearly a person that is broken, that has some kind of mental illness or mental disorder, and they're in need of compassion? How do you do both of those things, or can you? Well, that's the question of the hour. I don't know. I think you can. I think you have to. I think you have to show compassion for anybody who's broken and fallen, just like Jesus showed compassion for the woman caught in adultery. There was no indication in that text that she was not an adulteress. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. He, he's actually telling her he's condemning her sinful behavior, um, but yet he doesn't condemn her and he, he, he absolves her and acquits her. I think in a way we have to like look at a person like Bruce Jenner and we have to walk a very careful balance because we don't want to be, at least I don't want to participate in a cultural move to normalize the abnormal. Right. Um, there is such a thing in bioethics that I think this term was coined. This is a very, very scientific term that was coined by, I think, Leon Cass <laughs> called the yuck factor. Right. Very and scientific. Yeah, but but that there is sort of a repulsion that people instinctively feel towards certain things, and that can be conditioned, okay, sure. and, and that can be conditioned out too. And um, but there is a, I think it's actually a, a healthy thing that people have a certain repulsion to certain things. This is how come we don't drink soured milk because right. you smell it and it makes you crinkle up your face, and you know, okay, well there's something about. Um, and, and this is, I'm just speaking objectively and not, you know, not if right. I was talking to someone who is actually struggling with this, but I would say, you know, objectively speaking, someone who is rejecting their body and undergoing massive and irreversible mutilations, right. um, and, and with, with little likelihood of successfully treating the underlying mental disorder, uh, you know, there ought to be a certain kind of reaction. However, that doesn't, you know, we can't just, we can't just condemn someone like Bruce Jenner. We can't just, you know, cover them with uh, condemnation. He should just get over this and shape up and, you know, because it's not that simple. If no. someone has, um, which, which I'm not a doctor, but, but what I would consider a mental illness or at least a mental disorder of some kind. And it right. seems to be a very intransigent one. I mean, it's very difficult, intractable. It's very difficult to uh, remedy. And in fact, there is no effective remedy that, that has been discovered. And so you have, have to be compassionate. And I think I'd even say the more that we try to normalize this sort of behavior, the less likely there's going to be there's ever going to be any kind of treatment because, I mean, we're very quickly getting to the point where even talking about this and suggesting that there is something wrong with this behavior, that itself is now being publicly shamed. I mean, that's kind of the point of this whole thing. Now, it, it's in. I'm sorry. What did you have to say, Scott? Oh, I was just going to agree with you and say that you, what we're actually doing is condemning people to greater suffering because while there might be with research and time, there might be discovered an effective remedy, an effective treatment, we should say, 
you know, sort of a talk therapy plus medication that would help someone who has gender dysphoria come to a resolution and a reconciliation between their mind and their body without having to undergo the surgery. But by simply saying there's nothing wrong here, this is part of the normal spectrum of human sexuality, then what we're doing is, is basically undercutting any any movement towards research in this area. Any possibility of healing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, you can heal something if it's not a malady. Right, right. Now, it's interesting, as, as you were talking about this a moment ago, what popped into my head is science fiction. Now, the reason for that is, A, as you know, I like science fiction a lot. I, le- I read all kinds of science fiction all the time. But what the role that science fiction has often played over the last 100 to 150 years is kind of asking the what if question and pushing the social boundaries. I I, you know, I remember watching reruns of the original Star Trek, for example, where they would have individuals that were bisexual or unisexual or, you know, all kinds of, of various things that were, um, that were being addressed in society. But because you were, because the person was blue or whatever, then that was okay. If that had been put on the Waltons or something mm-hmm. else, it would never have flown in, in syndicated television. So we have all sorts of avenues in our in our culture today that that have kind of made these things happen on the fringe but are now going mainstream. Yeah, I'm actually working it's really almost I think Todd, <laughs> the more we do this the more I think you and I have a psychic link. <laughs> because I'm I have been there. I have been diving in headfirst on a, on a project that I've been working on for a couple of months and I'm writing about the novel Frankenstein. I'm right. doing a little project on Frankenstein and I have been, I have written paragraphs within the last 48 hours that have, that say things like, you know, we monster stories can serve the purposes of softening these boundaries between man and machine, human and animal, right. living and dead. You know, the and 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 we call it we call it liminality. You know, a lemon, you know, it means the border, or the boundary, or the right. threshold between one thing and another. And that monster stories often serve the purposes of softening our prejudices, and can be used to you know make sort of uh, statements about race relations or about sure. um, all kinds of stuff or transgenderism. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, so it's, my, it's yeah. really interesting that you say this, Scott, because when I hear the word liminality, I think of Arthur just <laughs> and, and Being bapti- between heaven and earth. Well, between heaven and earth. And, but particularly I remember having a class with him, whatever, 20 years ago, that involved baptismal rites. And he was always talking about how baptism is this ritual state of liminality, that Mm -hmm. this is the ritual movement from unbelief to faith, from uh, the old creation to new creation, and that in order to move between those spaces, there, there must be some kind of ritual action. 
and 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 that raises an interesting question to me of now this is this may be totally crazy okay not that we've ever do anything like that but is the vanity fair spread a sort of a state of liminality or kind of coming out on the other side, so to speak. For well, yeah, that, for yeah. transgender, I mean, is that what's really meant by coming out of the closet as a homosexual? Is this saying I now fully embrace my new identity, which I have created? Uh, it's part. It's part of the process for sure. And you know, I I'm not aware of the intimate details of Bruce Jenner's. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner's transitioning. I mean, incidentally, I do think we should respect a person. A person has a right to have the name they want. And it just incidentally, you know, I, so I'm going to try to use Caitlyn for, for now. And I don't know how successful. Gotcha. But and um, if you disagree, you can write us at feedback at the crux of the letter dot net and absolutely. title it Scott is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Great. Go ahead. Great. Now, that can apply to a lot of things. But right. um, um, well, you know, I mean, so yes, if you're in ritual studies, you're going to use the term one way, but you know, in, in writing about horror stories, uh, liminal beings are, 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 you know, usually monsters or creatures that, that are, it's hard to put them into a category. We, you know, we, our taxonomies, our, our right. ability to categorize things is okay. Is, you know, like we, if you think of any classic monster, you know, Wolfman or right. uh, Dracula, vampire, whatever, exactly. Yep. There's, he's a liminal being. He's neither this nor that. He's in between. He's neither dead nor alive. He's undead. And, right. and, and so on and so forth. And what it does is it, sh- is it, is it, shatters our certainties about taxonomies and categories and and putting people into into certain cubby holes and by shattering that um, then it opens up the possibility of uh, crossing all kinds of boundaries and some right. of that isn't bad I mean I, I'm you know if, if it can help if doing this helps people become more accepting of people of other races I think that's kind of cool that you know that's kind thing. that's kind of a neat thing yeah and and people like you know, Gene Roddenberry with Star Trek knew exactly what he was doing. Absolutely. This was he knew exactly this was completely intentional and 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 to to an extent it's to be applauded. But it can also be used to try to reduce our are, um, you know, so there's this, there's this author named Elaine Graham and she talks about something. She uses the phrase ontological hygiene. And she says that we, by nature, we instinctively want to keep those boundaries between this and that and the other. Uh, we like to keep those boundaries firm and, and to maintain hygiene of ontology of what a thing is. And she's trying to make those boundaries more porous and where, you know, it's not because these boundaries are in her mind, just pure constructions. They're not, right. they're social uh, you know, construction. They're not they're, essential. Gotcha. Right. They're not of the essence of the thing. And, you know, I, you know, it, it, it's, so I don't know the intimate details of Caitlyn Jenner's transition. So I don't know if, if he, she has had the surgery or not. Right. Um, usually the, is this, this kind of stuff takes place in stages. And one of the earlier stages is doing what he's doing right now, what appears to be doing right now. And that is by dressing and behaving and presenting oneself as the other gender, the right. gender that you identify with. And having, I mean, in this case, having some plastic surgeries, having, I think he's talked about hormonal therapy. Oh yeah, they do that. Yeah, yeah, the hormonal therapy, and uh, you can do sort of facial 
plastic surgeries and, and, you know, there are certain things, you know, eventually he's going to have breasts implanted. He's eventually going to, if he, if he goes through the whole, whole right. nine yards, he's going to have his genitals removed and he's going to have, um, a, a, a cosmetically similar vagina created. Right. I mean, he's never going to be able to reproduce, but, um, that's, that's the end game there. Well, let me, let me push on this a little bit, Scott. Um, I, I do agree with your um, with your assessment that a person has the right to uh, have their own name. OK, that that makes sense to me. However, what are we saying as Christians if we if we use the nomenclature that agrees that you can that you can also have your own gender? Right. So by by calling Bruce Jenner Caitlin and referring referring to him her as she, are we actually normalizing this behavior and contributing to it? Well, I certainly would give I would look at use of pronouns a little differently and okay. you know, but what I wouldn't do and here's the thing is I would never refer to a person as an it. No, I agree. I certainly you know, agree it, with that. And, and, you know, I think we want to be, we want to treat, you know, Caitlin Bruce Jenner as, as a person, as a human being. Um, he was, as far as I am aware, was born a normal male. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite comfortable continuing to use the masculine pronoun. I just kind of have a feeling, you know, if someone wants to change their name, they can change their name. Yeah. And I, I don't like it, but you know, I don't see what, and what people change their names all the time. People and this do. is one, uh, obviously we're a little more sensitive to this than some, right. right. But people do, you know, you change your name or many change their names when they get married. So, yep. et cetera. Yep. So that, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I would, I would, I would think, and of course we're all just figuring this out. You know, I don't have firm opinions on a lot of things. There are some things that are firm, of course, but we're still just trying to figure this out, how to interact, how to, how we as, you know, confessional, traditional believers in scripture would respond. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll shift and change my mind about one or the other as we kind it's of. certainly evolve. possible. This yeah. is kind of new territory for all of us. Yeah, it's newish, and new you know, it's right, right. Well, and and it creates, I think, some interesting. It creates some interesting pastoral care questions. It sure does. Yes, <clears throat> um, in a lot of levels. For example, at at my congregation, we have a preschool with a that goes up through kindergarten. We've got upwards of a hundred kids here. Um, we don't have any kind of faith requirement for someone to send their child to our preschool. This is not a school for members, although there are more than one or two members that send their kids to school. So in that sense, I, I would think of it or try to think of it as an outreach. This is sure. all good. So and this has not happened, but I can absolutely imagine a scenario where we have a Heather with two mommies in oh, yeah. applies and I end up engaging in in, ver in some kind of pastoral care in this situation. Who knows what it would be? So how do I, as a faithful Lutheran pastor, 
care for care for this person or these people? Yeah, you're going to have, you know, and just sticking with the transgender thing, I mean, you're going to have people in your congregation. There is go- there is the statistical possibility and, prob- and likelihood that there are members in our LCMS churches who have gender dysphoria. And there are and there are going to be others who are related to someone with gender dysphoria. And, you know, I've had I wouldn't say I've had a bunch, but I've had several people throughout the Missouri Synod who have emailed me and contacted me um, either because their child or has declared themselves transgender or because a member of the church suddenly showed up and was dressing as the other gender. And, you know, this this is going on. And, and, and plus, let's be honest, you know, what if someone like Bruce Jenner, what if he, he what if he were to sort of regret his decision? And uh, let's just say the Holy Spirit works on him and he becomes uh, a believer in Christ and, and repents of this and believes, doesn't quite know how to, where's he going to fit in? Where in the world is, is he going to be able to, would, would someone Precisely. like, would someone like Caitlyn Jenner be accepted in your congregation if he showed up on a Sunday morning and came in there? And, you know, I mean, how old is this guy? What is he, 60? Yeah, plus or minus. Okay, um, I, I saw the Vanity Fair picture, and I can guarantee you this thing was computerized. Of course it was. Um, you know, because no one of that age passes as a female. Uh, right. No man of that age is going to pass very easily as a female. It's very difficult for people to pass. It's very rare that it happens, and it usually only happens in places like Thailand when they could do the surgery at young, young ages right. um, before puberty hits and um, in full force. So, you know, I mean, he's going to show up in your church and it's going to be obvious. He's not going to look like a woman. He's going to look like a man who's right presenting as a woman. And that's what I'm concerned about. One of the things I'm concerned about is how would we as a congregation apply law and gospel to someone like that? And you would do the same thing. What if, what if it applies in other areas? Like you were trying to say if, if Heather and her, and her mate, you know, show up in right. your church and, is it, um, I assume it is, but I don't remember, is uh, same-sex marriage legal in California? Oh, yeah. Okay. So they show up in your church and they sit in a pew. And, um, you know, what do you do? You know, I mean, because just, it's not going to be written on all of your bulletins. We disagree with gay marriage, you know, so they they may not know. They may not know your, you know, your position on that. And they come, they come, and they come. And they're actually wanting to be involved and be interested. And maybe they want to volunteer with uh, right. the nursery and things like that. I think we're, we just sim- simply have to be prepared and we're not doing a good, good enough job of, of preparing ourselves for this. No, I totally agree. And I think that what we have to wrestle with and, and issues like this with Caitlyn Jenner merely highlight the greater issue of how do I love my neighbor while at the same time not condoning their sin. Right. And in the same respect, how does my neighbor love me when I'm sinning? And how does the church embrace sinners while, while faithfully confessing reality as it is? Um, It is not as easy as we would like to make it out to be. And one thing's for sure in my mind, Scott, is that getting to the point of simply insulting or mocking someone, it 
I don't know. I don't see a scenario where that is beneficial either to the person or to the church. I'm willing to be corrected too, but I just don't see it. No, I, you know, I agree. I think we have to be, we have to be grownups and not, not, adolescents (laughs) adolescents <laughs> and you know and not a lot make, of fun out of things right right let's not mock people for their what i would consider and there's no way i can say this without it being offensive to somebody yep. and, and that is their weakness you know at the very least their weakness or their you know i don't want to say their flaw but i would say that their their fallenness this is an example of their fallenness and we are all fallen and we all have flaws and i don't i don't expect the lord god to uh, simply condone my flaws any more than you know he condones theirs. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I think that's a that's that probably puts us at a pretty good stopping point right now, Scott. Are you yeah. uh, comfortable with moving on right now? Yeah, let's do. Let's do. Okay. Again, you can find our show notes at thecruxofthematter dot net slash podcast slash twenty one. We're now a drinking age, Scott, as a podcast, so (laughs) I guess that's good. Um, So I think we can move ahead. So, Scott, what's bringing you joy this week? Okay, well, um, a lot of your, a lot of our listeners are kind of probably aware of lifehacker.com. It's, sure. it's, it's a website, right? And they have lots of different things on there. But um, what I like to look at are their productivity sorts of blog posts. Whenever they put something up, you know, download this app or here's a, here's a book or here's a new technique on, in terms of increasing and improving your productivity. And here's, I have something from that that's not new, but it's new to me. Gotcha. And it's, it's called pom- the Pomodoro Technique. Uh, are you familiar with the Pomodoro Technique? Please okay, continue. So, yes. Well, the Pomodoro Technique what is simply it's a way to um, uh, engineer or manage your concentration so that you can be more productive and with your time. So what I usually do whenever I'm trying to write a paper or whenever I'm working on something is I just muscle through. I soldier on, I soldier on and two hours go by and that two and a half hours go by. And really the longer you do that, the, the your effectiveness begins to decline. And yep. what they've discovered is that if you use a timer and it's called the Pomodoro technique, I underst- as I understand, because this was invented by an Italian guy and the name of the egg timer that he used was Pomodoro. And so, you know, you turn this thing on for 20 minutes or 25 minutes. When it rings, you take a five-minute break. Then you, at immediately after five minutes, you start up again for another 20, 25. You just simply, it's like, um, you know, it's like in, when you go to the gym, you do intervals. Yep. That's what this is. It's doing intervals and it gives your brain a chance to rest and take breaks and it improves and increases your productivity. And I've been trying it and been you know, tinkering with it the last couple of months, well, last couple of months probably. And I think it has been helping my productivity level. Hmm. So So that's bringing me joy. So what do you do during that five minutes? Do you get up and walk around? Um, Do you play solitaire? What I do is I, yes, I actually am, for me, I think it's important to be active, physically active. So I get up, I literally will get up and sometimes I'll 
depending on where I'm at, you know, I'll do calisthenics or something, you know, sure. just move the blood through the body, cleanse out the cobwebs of the brain. I try not to, at first I would say, okay, I'm taking my break. Now I'm going to go read my email or something or look right. at Facebook. Which isn't really a break. I didn't find that relaxing. Yeah. It's a break, but not the right kind of break. So I, what I try to do is get up and just at least walk around my house a few times, go up and down some stairs and just clear out the, the cobwebs. And then after five minutes, when it, you know, and then after you do it, say four times, after you go through four cycles, then you give yourself a 15 minute break, a little longer break, right? Yes. And then I can go make a cup of tea or go to the washroom and, you know, yep. then I might check my Facebook and all that. There is an awful lot of, of evidence that, that doing things in interval actually is of much greater benefit um, and that's not only true with this, but so many different, so many different aspects of life. So it's very interesting yeah. and, yeah. uh, and an excellent joy bringer. There yeah. are, by the way, also eh, roughly a bazillion different apps that you can get that, that are variants on Pomodoro. You can get yeah. them for, for iOS, for Android, for Mac, for Windows, anything under the sun. Just, you just type pomodoro into whatever your uh what whatever app app store you use you're going to find stuff and they're yep. they're either going to be free or cheap yeah so it's a very good pick yeah my favorite for the week there you go excellent well mine kind of rolls off of last week where we talked about where we talked about depression and my pick for this for this week or my joy bringer for this week is called the California Relationship Center. Hmm. Now, you may be asking yourself, Scott, what is the California Relationship Center? Well, I'm going to tell you. It is a it's a counseling center in a little town about 20 minutes from me called Auburn. My um my counselor, my psychologist uh owns it, runs it. And I'll tell you, Scott, it kind of saves my life having wow. having a good counselor is incredibly difficult and i i really can't overemphasize how important that is for a pastor to have someone that is not a part of your congregation that is a professional counselor that can help you with all of the gunk that inevitably is going to come up as a parish pastor and to help you process it in different ways. And and we talked a little bit about there are lots of different therapy techniques, talk therapy, cognitive behavior therapy. There's lots of them. Um, some are good, some are not so good. But I have found um, I have found the people at this uh, at this place to be incredibly kind. It's not what I would call a Christian counseling center, but they are Christians and are and are certainly very sympathetic to all say uh, traditional liturgical Christianity. Nice, and, yeah, and. And I like them, uh, and I think that they do a good job. So that's my uh, joy bringer for the week. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, very good. Okay. So I think we've uh, I think we've opened a Pandora's box on this conversation, but that's a good one. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our dear listeners? 
No, just that we love to get my email and tell us how we're doing. Tell us what are, you know, what's on your mind. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover. Good. Very good then. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.